Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 13th of June 2022 and this is episode 259. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to author and historian Craig Armstrong about his recent book, The Boy Scouts in the Great War, that looks at the movement during the First World War. This book is published by Pen and Sword. Craig spoke to me from his home in England. Craig, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Before we start, can you tell us about how you became interested in the Boy Scouts and their role during the Great War? Yes, it was an interesting one, really. I've, I've, obviously, I've written quite a few books for Pen and Sword um, on the subject of the First World War, but they were largely concerned with individual communities. Um, so I, I, had a, I already had an interest in the home front during the war. But actually, somebody else was slated to write the book on the Boy Scouts. And for various reasons, they dropped out. And I was approached by, by my editor and asked if I would be willing to undertake it. So I actually came at it very fresh. And although I had some ideas of, of what the Boy Scouts actually did during the war, I hadn't researched it up until that point. So I, I came at it very fresh and um, found it a very fascinating book to, to actually research and write. So why do you think a book was needed on the Boy Scouts? Because it's one of those areas I thought there would have been quite a few published already. Yes, it, it's strange. I, I thought that it could have struggled to find it, its niche in the market. But when I looked, there actually wasn't anything really which got into individual stories and which concentrated not only on the, the activities of the organisation on the home front, but also on the military escapades of former scouts. I mean, obviously, you had you know several famous former scouts such as Cornwell, um, who were pretty widely known about. But um, there were other interesting little stories which I came across, you know, a, a story of a, a sergeant in the King's, in the King's Liverpool Regiment um, called Chismal, who was from Ormskirk, who was awarded both the Military Medal and the DCM. So there were, there were interesting little, little facets which I came across. And as I was researching the book, I realised that it, it did have its own niche. There wasn't anything out there which was quite like this one. So let's start at the beginning. That might sound a really obvious question, but I'm, I think some of our overseas listeners might uh, might not know who the Boy Scouts are. So could you give us a bit of background of their formation and how they came to be in existence? Yes. Um, basically, the Boy, Boy Scouts were the brainchild of, of, well, you should say one man, really, but it's not quite true. There was a concern after the Boer War that not only were physical standards of British manhood decreasing, obviously during the Boer War, a lot of men had had to be rejected for army service because of their physical standards. And there was also a concern that during the Boer War, the British army had been completely outflanked by the Boers using commando tactics. And so it was decided that basically there would be a value in an organisation for boy, for British boys, which not only taught them quasi-military skills, but also discipline, instilled discipline in them and um, good moral values as well as physical exercise so that is basically how the boy scout movement came into being through of course led by baden powell general baden powell and it was a, it was a slow start at first and there was always an ambivalence around the boy scout organization because although it was designed originally for any boy you had to buy your own uniform so for many working class families it was impossible and indeed, in the early years, many working class boys 
just did not want to be involved with it at all. They, they, they didn't see it as any value to them. They saw it as an elitist movement. So it had a very ambivalent start. But in the years leading up to the First World War, it had started to gain a foothold in, in working class areas as well. So you see it starting to spread. In my own area in Northumberland, it was actually quite a slow spread but, um, because it, it was rivaled by the Boys Brigade as well. So by the start of the First World War, there are thousands of Boy Scouts. Um, they've been inculcated with a sense of, of duty to king and country, but also with a standard of a certain standard of moral rectitude. And immediately as the First World War begins, thousands of Boy Scouts join up. And what sort of ages would somebody be if, you, if you're going to join the Scouts and be a member of a local troop? What was the sort of um, age that you join up? And then sort of how big were they? And how big was the movement before the war? Yeah, it, it, var- it var- as far as age is concerned, it varied. Um, most, most Scouts t- tended to join up around the age of 12. That was, that was the average. But some did join younger. Um, different. What I found was that different um, regional organisations seemed to have allowed scouts to join up at different ages, despite the fact that there, there was meant to be a standard across the organisation. Um, as for as for the numbers of scouts, it's very it's very hard to judge accurately just how many scouts there were, because some of the the regional organisations didn't really keep very good paperwork. But it's estimated that there could have been a hundred thousand. And certainly when you look at the number of former scouts who'd grown up and in the movement, um, there were a, a, a great many of those who, who were a boon to the armed forces. And we should point out that it was generally just for boys rather than girls. I know today they yeah. take um, obviously both sexes, but it was essentially boys and then the girls, I think, had the girl guides, if I'm correct. Yes, that's correct, yeah. Um, the girl guides was a, was a later, a later organisation and um, probably a... A less contentious one because obviously the, the, there was also resistance to the Boy Scouts on the on the grounds that it was it was seen as a, a kind of military undertaking. So, what did the Boy Scouts movement do on the sort of the home front during the Great War to support the war effort? Oh, what didn't they do? Right from the very offset, um, they were in London. Boy Scouts were drafted in to work in the War Office, um, mainly as messengers, but all, also as clerks as well, because obviously there was a an almost instant manpower shortage as men rushed to the colours in 1914. Um, elsewhere, they they were immediately formed into with their original troops split into various groups, and they were assigned guard duties over what were seen as as important areas, so railway junctions, reservoirs, that sort of thing. A lot of, to be honest, they did they did an awful lot of what um, the Home Guard would do in the Second World War, except they they of course weren't armed. Although they did kind of arm themselves with pike shafts and various things, uh, so so that was their very early duties. They also had a coastal watch because there there was also a sea scout movement alongside the Boy Scouts, and they would help. They would be assigned to a coast guard station, and their duties would be to to look for enemy vessels, um, to even send for assistance if an Allied vessel got into trouble just off the coast. <clears throat> Later in the war, as, as the war went on, they became more and more involved with the charity side of things. So they started they started raising funds. Now, the, one of the things about the Boy Scouts movement was that they couldn't beg, they couldn't accept money um, in, in that form. So they came up with various quite quite good schemes, really. You know, mainly around salvaging. So one of the most popular options was for them to collect waste glass in the form of bottles and then sell that on. 
and then that would be used to support wartime charities. Did they ever get tangled up with a great sort of spy mania? Something just occurred to me when I, in the research I've done, everybody was looking for spies in 1914-15. And I wonder whether Boy Scouts might have been particularly enthusiastic about finding spies. Do you find any, any such stories? Yes, there, there were a few. Um, as, you, as you're aware, as you said, there, there was a, a great kind of spy anxiety, especially during the, early, the first two years of the war. And several several Boy Scouts troops did go around looking for spies, and they would they would report strange people who they didn't recognise to the police, and so on. Um, so there was a little bit of paranoia involved. There was a case in the south of England as well, where um, two Boy Scouts were tracing a man, were tracking a man across open country who they seen they believed in suspicious activity. And one of the Boy Scouts was later found knocked out. They thought possibly chloroformed, but. Um, as so many spy stories in, in, during this period, nothing seems to have come of that. There was the police didn't really take it very seriously, and, and as far as I'm aware, there was no no real investigation into it. And then, talk, turning to stories of scouts who served in the Great War, in Great War, are there any sort of particular stories that stand out from your research? Well, I mean, the, the obvious one is uh, Jack Cornwell, um, who obviously was 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 the the boy first class in in the the Royal Navy, and who was awarded the VC. But that's a a very well-known story now. Um, as I said, there's there's lesser-known stories, such as um, Sergeant Harold Chismal, um, who is from Ormskirk. He's age 20, so he's very young to be a sergeant. And he ends up earning both the DCM and the military medal. And when he returns home on leave, he's given this huge parade. Um, the, the town council and the mayor turn out for it. They greet him. They have a luncheon together. They present him with a silver wristwatch, which he presumably doesn't take back with back with him to the front. And thankfully, it, it seems that he survived the war as well. So it was it was nice to come across a story of a of a more cheerful nature of a of a survivor. Um, but there were there were lots of interesting little stories because quite a lot of the um, a lot of the former Boy Scouts obviously joined the army. The vast majority did. Uh, but there was also a fascination with the Royal Flying Corps which, again, was part of the army in, in the early days of the war, um, and with the Royal Navy as well. But you come across interesting, just little cameo stories of, of, of people who, know, who no one's ever heard of, really, unless you happen to be from the same village and you've seen the name on the war memorial. So you have, for example, Cal Captain Alexander Noel Smith, again, 20 years of age, a former scout. Uh, he joins the 7th Northumberland Fusiliers, and he's killed pretty quickly he dies on the 26th of september 1916 um then you have sapper arthur topham 84th field company royal engineers another former boy scout who enlisted young he was just aged 18 when he when he enlisted and before the war he'd worked as, as a tubing smith at a locomotive works he lasted a lot longer he was on the front for 16 entire months and his his um company commander praised him very highly in the letter home to his family when he was after he was killed on the 7th of October 1916 so there's I, I tend to find that the little stories more interesting than the the big gallantry gallantry award stories yeah and you mentioned uh, Jack Cornwell can you tell us about that because I, I know I know it's an obvious story to me and you who are who are fanatics about the great war but yeah I think many people won't know who he is and what he did and how did his Boy Scout connection come out yeah, um, it was a, it was an interesting one, uh, Jack Cornwell, because he he obviously he was he was just a, a boy. He was a he was indeed he was rank his rank was as a boy, and he's with the the Royal Navy's Grand Fleet, and he is part of the Grand Fleet at the uh, the Battle of Jutland, and 
his his light cruiser is in, is engaged by several German cruisers. The gun crew of which he's a part are all killed pretty early in the confrontation. He's severely wounded, but he remains at his post on on the gun um, on HMS Cheshire, and eventually his vessel retreats from the action, and he later dies of his what of very severe wounds and is awarded the Victoria Cross. And it was the if I remember correctly, there, was, there wasn't originally a link with the Scouts until a member of his family mentioned that he'd been a Boy Scout in his earlier days. And that's how, that's how it came out. And he then becomes a kind of mascot for the movement during the war. And his, a fund is set up in his memory. And young Scouts are, are urged to, to look up to him as an inspiration and to, to model their lives after him. Yeah, I mean that's 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 fascinating because I, I for my own research I found a very interesting link between scoutmasters and 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 their scout troops actually joining entire units. I got one guy called Lucas who was in Toynbee Hall uh, and he bought about eighty of his his own um, sort of scouts and they all joined a West London unit. And did he find similar things happening with uh, scoutmasters in the rest of the country? Yes, very definitely. Um, there was a there was a good example in Berwick, um, Berwick upon Tweed, uh, where an, basically an entire troop joined up with the same um, the same battalion of the Northumberland Fusiliers. And another example from I believe it was Aberdeen. Well, there were several examples from Aberdeenshire itself, but I think this one was from Aber- from an Aberdeen troop, and they again joined up the same regiment, the same battalion, and the, I think I think it was a a fairly common commonplace thing especially later on in the war when um from 1915 onwards when when a, lo- a lot of the pals battalions were being recruited so yeah i, th- I think the scoutmasters did have a, a huge influential role in encouraging members of their troops to enlist this question is really difficult to, uh, to answer um but what impact do you think the scout movement had on the british war effort it is a very tough one to answer um what you what you can say is that in a military sense, scouts seem to have um, performed above and beyond their numbers. Uh, they, whether it was due to the fact that they'd been brought up in the scouting movement and, as I said, inculcated with this sense of duty, a large number of them, even who enlist as, as private soldiers, seem to be quite rapidly promoted, whether whether to NCO level or whether they're later commissioned as officers. Um, a lot of scoutmasters, a lot of older scouts, former scouts, go in and are commissioned straight away as officers. So they play a massive part in the in the trenches and in, at Gallipoli and other, and other areas as well. On the home front, it's harder to gauge, but they certainly raised an awful lot of money for um, for wartime charities and especially for things like comforts for the troops and things like that. Also for, for salvaging opportunities for war weapons, to fund weaponry. So they, they did make a massive contribution. The Coast Watch was probably very useful in some ways because it released other men to go into military service. So I, th- I think the, the contribution by the size of the, compared to the size of the, mu- the, the movement, was huge. And my final question is, where can people get the book and learn more about your work? Ah, well, um, hopefully all good bookstores and possibly some bad ones as well. Um, certainly they can get it directly from Pen and Sword, my publisher. It's available on Amazon. So all the usual outlets should stock it or should be able to get hold of it for, for people. Um, if they want to find out more about my own work, then the best the best way is to log on to the Pen and Sword website and do a search for me just by name. And I think I've now got, I think it's 21 books out with Pen and Sword um, and a, a couple more to come this year, hopefully. So that's, that's the easiest way for people to find out about my work. Craig, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. 
You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>